Amen. Good morning. Good morning. You're all quiet. Steve's awake. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're carrying on our series this morning in Hebrews, Courageous Faith in a Faithful God. Uh, this is part 10. Uh, in the second half, we're in Hebrews 11. So Rob started us off last week. Um, and our title is Faith in Action, and we're looking at faithful heroes. Uh, so I'm going to start with a pub quiz question. This came up um, over lunch at work. And we're sitting around, there's a group of about 10 of us, and uh, the, a guy had said, we're just chatting in our idle conversation, he's been at the pub, done a pub quiz, he says, um, what is the logo on a tin of Lyle's golden syrup? Does anyone know? Yeah, well done, John. Okay, so John said, it's a lion with bees coming out of it. And uh, yeah, he's a cook, that's right, that's why, Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, did you know why, though? Do you know why that is? <laughs> Samson, yeah, yeah. Anything else? You see, it's a, it's a really strong tin, actually. It went, went, it's been to the Arctic and all sorts. Out of the strong comes forth sweetness. Okay, it's a riddle. Uh, it's, it's a good question, in part, but, and, but I really tried to seize it. I was the only one that got it around the table. I had to get a hint from my colleague about something coming out of the line. I'd got the line bit. But do you remember these stories? This is Samson. Samson's in our passage. You can spot him in a minute. Um, but do you remember this hero of the faith? We're going to read about him. Uh, that night, I went home and I was thinking about this because I found it so hard to spring off that. I had no context to build off. I really look for these opportunities to talk to my colleagues about my faith. I will. I do talk to them about church and things. But I really struggle to make anything out of that. Uh, how, what's the context of this guy who grabs a, you know, a lion and slaughters it with his bare hands? And how do you build faith into that conversation? Yet, I watch TV on Netflix go in the next day and, and rave about some documentary I've watched on some hero. I was watching this program uh, on El Capitan in Yosemite. It's the Apple screensaver. There's a picture, it's going to come up. It's the just most beautiful uh, rock face. And uh, it was, it's never been climbed all the way up in one go. Um, and uh, people have climbed different pitches. But this guy, Tommy Caldwell, he has this life crisis. He's a climber. He actually lost the top digit of his finger in a DIY accident, loses his uh, girlfriend, wife, and uh, he's sitting at the top of it, and it's like, what am I going to do in my life? And he decides to climb it. Seven years of preparation, 19 days of climbing solidly on the rock face, and he does it. 32 pitches, they're all in the top severity in the world, he's sleeping on the face. It's just heroic, it's an amazing story, you can watch the documentary on Netflix. Uh, partway through that film, this guy, um, Alex Honnold, climbs down, he abseils down on all these ropes, because um, they're having to supply these guys with food. Now Alex is also this, a phenomenal climber, and he has a film, filmed by National Geographic, See the next slide. Um, on this rock face, he climbed a similar route, slightly, slightly easier, I'm going to say, but wait a minute. He does it in three hours, 56 minutes, and he has no protection. No ropes, nothing. T-shirt, trousers, short bag. Uh, it's the most ridiculous film to watch because the, the camera crew were just freaking out. Uh, should we even be filming this? Um, 
Uh, and these guys, this is Ron Tomato, the film review website. He says, Free Solo depicts athletic feats that viewers will find beyond reason, Vanity Fair says. Maybe Free Solo's detailed, transfixing portrait of their hero will at least show some sort of barrier to entry. Don't do it. <laughs> really, heroes, villains, just stupid people. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I finished, I actually, um, I'd done a, a run that day, I was looking on my social media. That night, Eliud Kipperjay, I had this article on him, sub two hour marathon, sub two hour. Phenomenal heroic feats. And these are really things we can't do. I mean, good luck if you can. Um, do you feel you can relate to them? But we love the heroes, don't we? We love the stories. And I think if we just look at this, I want to show you this morning that the heroes that Hebrews is introducing to you are not out of reach. As we dig into this story, this is really a story that the writer draws you into, and he's going to show you how you have to stand in this lineup of heroes. He's not writing you out. He's not expecting you to do some feat like climb Yosemite. That's unrealistic for me. But the writer is writing you into a story of great faith, the arc of history and you. It's an exhortation for you to take your place. And uh, you realize that as you look at these characters, that's going to be the first half. The second half is really as you look at these characters and their best efforts, their very best efforts to kind of find these promises, uh, they really screw up. There's a lot of failure in there. They're not perfect people. And they realize, though, that salvation's only complete when we hold fast to a God who's done it for you already. It's not on your own superhuman efforts. That's the heroism, leaning on God. So we've had this complicated backstory. Just remember where we come from for a minute in Hebrews. We're reminded and exhorted to have faith in Christ's supremacy, his superiority in all things, his sacrificial work that's better than any other sacrifice, utterly, utterly better than anything. Because of that, therefore, because of all the law, the theology we've looked at, we started this year, the second part, therefore, because if we stand on all of that, we must persevere and we must draw close to God. 10 verse 22, persevere. Don't throw away any confidence you have. What little confidence? Draw close. 10, 35 to 36. The only other option, shrink back, be destroyed. Continue to live by faith, 10, 35. We're going to see the examples of what that looks like. So I'm going to read the scripture so this is Hebrews 11. I'm going to go from 17 to 40. Is Michaela here? No. Okay, that's good, because I'm going to sneak a tiny bit into her sermon next week, because it's important. So sorry, Michaela, if you listen to this. If not, that's fine. Probably a better thing. Don't... <laughs> I'm looking at Baldwin. Um, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, 
blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leant on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people who passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army marched around them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, sword in two, killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin, goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet, none of them received what was promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. So I'm going to go over this passage twice. The first time I'm going to paint you the big picture, that's the first half, the second half, we're going to go into details. So aspects of the first scoop across this big picture. What is the writer trying to convey? So the first point is the faith is something anyone can have. No one's discounted here. There's, these are men in biblical history, aren't they? All these great men whose faith is critical to the story of the gospel. But don't miss that there's women here too. They are linchpins in fulfilling God's plan. Hebrews 11.11 is Sarah. We've got Rahab 11.31. Moses' mother, 11.23. And then unspecified women, 11.35. As well as men and women, it's extended to families. That's 11.23. Then it's brought to communities. You see communities of faith. That's Hebrews 11.29 and 30. 
So faith is both personal, but then there's this aspect of the corporate, something more. Faith doesn't exist in isolation. It's not hidden. It doesn't belong in the personal, private domain. Faith has its great triumphs as it's practiced in the context of a community and then in the world. Secondly, faith transcends time and place. This is, this is chronological, okay? This is like the arc of Christian history, God's history, how he would write it. You've got Abraham who starts things off. Genesis, then into the Exodus, Israel, the promised land, then the judges, the kings, the prophets, and it, it jumps bigger gaps of time as it goes forward. It becomes a bit more inclusive, not just starts with one man, Abraham, it involves everyone, and a bit more vague, because there's just too many people. I think the writer just kind of gives up, he's just, oh, there's all these people <laughs> that it involves. Uh, you, can, you can try and identify him. The Apocrypha is mentioned as mentioning the torture of the Maccabean Jews, Hebrews 11.35. I mean, maybe you put place, uh, place Stephen from Acts 7 and 8. He's stoned to death in Acts. That matches Hebrews 11.37. So it's then really broad and sweeping in its scope as, as the end, the emphasis on those who've suffered and persecuted for the gospel. So I don't want to steal Michaela's thunder because she's going to go into this next week, but it's important to see where this goes. Um, she's going to do a marvellous job next week, I've no doubt. But this, this section breaks are artificial. Chapter breaks and verses are artificial. The writer didn't put them there. And so the passage develops this arc of history down to you. Because look at verse 40, 39, 40. All of these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had promised, since God had planned something better for us, it's this word us, because only together with us, you're joined with them, there's an inclusion here, only together with us, they are made perfect. So we're now linked to them. And if you go on into the next chapter, you'll see that this hall of fame becomes like this Olympic relay marathon. So you invented thing I made up for the Olympics, a relay marathon. But uh, there's this picture of these uh, ancients coming into this stadium, maybe, this epic, long, historical marathon, and it says that there's a cloud of witnesses looking down on us, and that we are to persevere as we run the race in front of this great cloud of witnesses, the ancients. So there's this link from history through to the completion, and then there's us in the middle of that picture. It's like they're watching us and cheering us on. Don't, don't make too much of this theologically, okay? You can't draw too much into it. But, but uh, there is this involvement there. We share in the faith of the ancients. It is definitely a passing on through generations. Last, it's a faith that transcends culture. Each of these lives is so very different. Abraham in this ancient city of Ur, the Chaldees, it's historical. These are historical people. I'm not going to for a moment think these are not historical. I do believe these are real events in history. Pay attention to the context of the literature, how it's writing the stories, of course. But let's, you know, let's take Abraham. Ur was a city that's been excavated. It's in Iraq. It'd be nice to visit, but maybe not. It's a very sophisticated urban city. Then Joseph, excess and power of Egypt and its military might and height. The Israelite community from Egypt to the wasteland of the desert. 
and it goes on. So as we go through this then, David had these high points in Israel's history and the low points came with the destruction and captivity in Babylon. So that's Daniel. You've got the oppression of the Roman Empire, that's the, the next phase. But faith becomes evident when it meets the unique challenges of the culture it's in. So each of those characters has unique challenges, all different. Don't expect your challenges to be anything like anyone else's. And the question is, what are the challenges that we have in our time? What are the unique challenges? Let me paint a picture for you. How do I respond to a culture that teaches my kids that the basic biology and biblical view of male and female is wrong? Sexuality is a continuum of choice. 58 genders on Facebook. How do I respond to a culture that's thoroughly dispensed with the Christian view of marriage in Genesis 1 as between one man and one woman? How do I respond to a culture that's undermined the notion of the sanctity of life, the dignity of the individual person? How do I respond to a culture that tells me science is a complete war with faith, no rational basis for faith, untrue? How do I respond to a culture that makes me so globally connected I can speak to anyone, anywhere, anytime, but I've never got time to think? Where I'm overloaded with information and choice, but unable to form a coherent opinion about anything. So much information and choice, but overwhelmed with issues and problems. And if you did form a coherent opinion about anything significant and spoke it, you're so swiftly condemned by an illiberal liberalism that permits only the liberty of speaking what itself approves. A culture that's bred a toxic social media debate deeply polarised opinions, solve none of the issues of inequality, perhaps made them worse. Culture where our faith is fine if it's practised in private, hidden at home, and there's less and less tolerance for the Christian worldview in the world outside. Last month I was reading this book, uh, I listened to it on audio and was so uh, engaged with it, I read it again. It's by the social critic Os Guinness, he's the great-great-great-grandson of Arthur Guinness, of the brewing empire. It's a book called Impossible People, a call for Christians in the West to persevere and be found faithful. I'm going to read you two quotes, a couple of quotes from his book. We now live in a world of speed, stuff and stress. So who then has time to think? To think for ourselves rather than taking the internet consensus as fast food for the mind. To think sufficiently in the light of biblical wisdom to be able to be discerning, to have the space for worship, for solitude, for the spiritual disciplines, and the space to live as a counterculture to the craziness of this pressure cooker life. It may well be that the advanced modern world requires more careful discernment than any previous age faced by Christians in history. But it is beyond question that the advanced modern world allows us less time to think about life and our own lives and offers us fewer tools to wrestle with its deepest challenges. Western nations have both forgotten God and forgotten where they have come from. 
Now they are attempting to complete the process of severing the roots of Western civilization, destroying its root system, poisoning its soil, and ruining its entire spiritual, moral, and social ecology. Our Western societies may persist in forgetting God and rejecting his way, but whatever our societies do around us, we are to remain faithful and keep open the place for God in our living. Our privilege is to host the absolute presence of God and to live the way of Jesus so that our difficult and lonely task as his followers is to be faithful and so to be different and live differently. I don't know if you're a little uncomfortable or confused by all of that. I am too, um, for sure. But Os Guinness is opening our eyes to this really huge challenge in our culture that steers a course that is in opposition to our faith. He's not saying the world's ended, but understand where culture heads and what your faith is. But don't also miss how he writes the answer into the problem, to host the absolute presence of God and to live the way of Jesus, to be found faithful. Perhaps in a sense that as God's work unfolds, we see all these superheroes who do great things, administer kingdoms and win battles, and then there's all of the stuff at the end, all the persecution and punishment and difficulty. Perhaps as God's work unfolds, the stakes get higher, the opposition and the challenge greater. And like God's Guinness, with our present, the privilege to host the absolute presence of God, remember Hebrews 10:22, draw close to God. Draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. You can't host his presence unless you draw near to his presence. Second sweep. Let's just let's dig into some details of some of these characters. How do we relate to this passage personally? I don't know how your faith is. I think sometimes it's, uh, it's not as perfect as we want it to be. It can be a little bit unwavering. Um, James 1 has that picture that faith is like a wave tossed and driven by the wind. It's a bit pathetic. I don't like it, but I sometimes feel it's like that. At first, it's this really powerful force of nature. And then, in a second, it turns to just froth and spray. Dissolves into nothing. And do I lack faith when I allow stress and worry in my life? When I take things into my own hands and trust the things I construct around me, my securities. You're not alone if you have failings. I'm going to look at a few characters really quickly and look at some aspects of their faith that we can learn from. I'm working backwards from Rahab. I just encourage you to really dig into the lives of these characters. It's been such a strength to me personally as I've done this through the Old Testament. I'm sure you do. But for your unique challenges, each of these characters has unique stories and unique perspectives. First, faith is singular. We start with Rahab. She's not an admirable person when we meet her in Joshua 2. Slightly unflattering description of her as a harlot. But at the most critical point in her life, when push comes to shove, she goes against everyone and everything. 
There's not a single person in that city that's with her. She sees something better. It's like instantly she knows what she wants. She knows that's it. And she pursues it. Spurgeon says this, It's the easiest thing in the world to believe as everyone else believes. But the difficulty is to believe a thing alone when no one else thinks like you do. This was the faith of Rahab. It's also a picture of God's grace and inclusion, no one being excluded. Secondly, faith is not fearful of the future. Take Moses. Hebrews 11, 27 and 28 says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Now, if you know the story of Moses, he left twice. The first time... He'd murdered, and he fled, fleeing for his life. Was he afraid? The second time, he's 80. First time, he's 40. Second time, he's 80 years old. And this time, he flees in the Exodus. The first time, he acts on his own. No direction from God, taking things into his own hands, flees for his life. But the second time when he leaves, he's not focused on the king And he's not fearful of the situation in front of him. Pharaoh, the king, his eyes are on the king of kings. He's learnt who to fear and who was greater. That's Exodus 14, 13. Who are you afraid on? Do we have a faith that is unafraid by people, by the future, by circumstances that could go against us? Are we ensuring that we always look at the king of kings, not the king in front of us with a little k? Next one. Faith is patient. It's a faith that is patient. Take Joseph. Joseph's a very gifted guy. I mean, he interprets dreams. He's been given this gift. It's not something he earned. But he's also, he's an arrogant so-and-so as a young kid. Totally spoiled by his father, really boastful. Stuff he says to his brothers, it's no wonder he gets in so much trouble. Genesis 39, later on when he's in Egypt and he gets his kind of second chance, he's working for this guy. And again, he seems so successful. God gifts it to him and blesses everything he does. All the way through that chapter, it blesses him, gives him success, blesses him, gives him success. He's a God-made, not a self-made man. How are you made? He is God-made, not self-made. And then he's thrown in prison. He's there for a long time. And if you remember the story, having been in prison for a while, he gets this chance to use his gifting again. He does so. He helps the cupbearer of the king and the baker escape. The cupbearer, he says, remember me. Two years later, the cupbearer is like, ah, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. I, 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 he says, I've made a sin. I've mis- made a mistake. Two years. He completely forgot about the guy who helped him out. Psalm 105, 19. It's kind of like a parallel commentary on, the, on this same thing as Hebrews 11. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. He tested him. Two whole years in prison, Genesis 41. 
But when his time comes to stand before Pharaoh, Joseph's hauled out of prison. There's not a hint of bitterness in him. There's no frustration or disappointment at how things had worked out. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. It's just this simple obedience to his gifting. Yet again, he just uses his gifting. No fear, no anger, frustration, just reliant on God's providence. The book of James really develops faith and its outworkings. You can follow it on. That's why the writers, or the, sorry, not the writers, but the collators of the Bible put it next after Hebrews. But James chapter 1 says, The testing of your faith works patience. Another word, perseverance. And perseverance makes us mature. I really hate waiting. When you have issues and situations that you pray through, it is so frustrating waiting for things. When things don't work out how you want them and you cannot make them go another way. Next one. It is a faith of confidence, not complaint. Confident faith, not complaint. When you have to wait, it's so easy to complain. Frustration and not getting things the way you expect them to be. Even if you think it's a God-given vision, when life doesn't go our way, it's so easy to have complaint. It's fascinating reading about Jacob. He's such a dysfunctional character, really dysfunctional family. He, he cheats his brother, then he cheats his dad. That's Genesis 25, 27. Then he gets cheated himself, kind of what goes around comes around with Laban. And then he gets this wife, which is cheated out the one he wants, he gets another one. And then he completely mistreats her, Genesis 29 to 31. Finally gets this wife he wants, spoils her, lets her pursue other things, false gods. And, and time again, God is just blessing him. It's time with Laban. He just has such a gifting and ability that God has given him. And he's just grabbing, he's just twisting and manipulating situations to get what he can. Always wrestling and fighting God for more. Trying to get what he wants. Genesis 32, the wrestling. When promises don't appear, he doesn't rest. He's just wrestling. Are you wrestling or resting? Always wanting more. There's two pivotal points in his life. Two pivotal points. In Genesis 47, verse 9, he's called to give an account of his whole life before Pharaoh. He's standing there. Jacob, tell me about your life. And he says this. He stands up. And uh, what's he going to say? Is he going to testify of God's goodness and his grace and amazing things that have happened? And he says this, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult. They don't equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Poor guy. <laughs> what a whining thing. And he's surprised he doesn't get chucked out from Pharaoh. All the wisdom. They respect age. Is he going to give this amazing account and testimony? No. Complaint. But actually, as I read this, I loved him most in his final stance in Hebrews 11.21. It says this, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and he worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. It's in Egypt. Promises of land, prosperity, nation... He spent his childhood meditating on them while his brother was out hunting. Nothing looks like it should be. He's in the wrong place 
and nothing has happened like he wanted it to. He's wrestled and fought his way to try and get hold of it all. And he just says, okay, I'm not going to wrestle anymore. I'm going to rest. And he worships. He leans on top of his staff and passes on the blessing to his sons or his grandsons. Those who go after him. More battles, more things to come. His only confidence is in God's solution. He can't engineer it anymore. His only confidence in the future, and he is confident, no hint of complaint. His confidence is in God's solution for the future. Are we full of complaint or confident of God's solution? See, the common denominator of all of these, the great quality, is the ability to overcome through faith. Each culture, each situation, each scenario, through faith. Verse 33. Because you only overcome things, you can only overcome things if you believe there's something better. When you look at the situation, it might not be great, but look at something better and believe in something better. That gives you the faith to overcome. Hebrews 11, 33-35. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised. Shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fear of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, weakness turned to strength, received back their dead to life, tortured, refused to be released, so that they might gain a better resurrection. There's the hope and the belief in something better, better resurrection. And if they had so much revelation of what God was doing, how much more have we got? We've got this privilege to see this arc of history that comes down and round and ends with us, and we're kind of drawn into this picture of Hebrews. We can stand in that big lineup of the heroes of the faith because they're looking and they're cheering us on. They are witnesses to our faith. For us to stand in our culture, in our situations, publicly and privately. And if we've had the privilege of seeing the arc of history and our place in it, we understand so much more about what Christ has done, his work of the cross, the completion that he's done the job for us. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Receive more, do more. So Hebrews isn't this book that lays outrageous demands on your life. It's not a heroic feat you've got to kind of take a deep breath and plunge into, like a Yosemite climbing wall. But the outworkings are so simple. Be mature. Be mature in your faith. Turn your trust towards God. Draw close. Chapter 6, verse 1a, New Living Translation. So stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again. Foundation of repentance, sins. Do we have to go through that again? Become mature. It says this, let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Chapter 6, verse 1b. The basic foundations of truth are in place. Turn your back on salvation by self-help. This is the message translation. Turn in trust towards God. There is so much more. Let's get on with it. Verse 12, 6, message translation. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith. Then get everything that's promised to them. 
Faith is singular. It knows what it wants. Rahab. Unafraid. It looks at the king of kings, not the little king in front. Joseph. It's patient through adversity. Joseph. It's full of confidence, not complaint. Jacob. And all of them. It eagerly anticipates and expects something far greater. Os Guinness, it's our privilege to host the absolute presence of God and to live the way of Jesus. Hebrews 6, draw close. Os Guinness again, let us determine and resolve to be so faithful in all the challenges and ordeals the onrushing future brings that may be said of us that we have in our turn served God's purposes in our generation. I'm done. I'm just going to pray for us as we finish. Father, I just thank you for the truth you have shown me as I have dug into your stories of your heroes. Lord, I pray for us all as we read your word that you would increase faith in our hearts. I pray that you would guide us all in our reading, in our devotional time, to understand how your word can help us in each of the unique challenges we have, both in terms of the culture around us and our individual challenges. Help us to be full of faith within our generation, we pray, that we might be found faithful before you. Amen.